The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. In July of 2006, I drove a packed U-Haul into the city of Tucson, Arizona, which was to be my home for the next two years. And friends, I will never forget getting out of the vehicle for the first time and stepping out onto the blacktop and thinking to myself, maybe this is what hell feels like. The sun was blazing. The temperature was a scorching 114 degrees. But I was reassured very quickly by my new Arizonian friends. I have some Arizonian friends here this morning. That don't worry, it's a dry heat. I just for the just for the record, a dry heat is still very, very hot. I remember that first year, especially having this kind of perpetual thirst. It was so bad, in fact, that bottled waters were not cutting it. Like I needed uh, the quality H2O by the truckload. Like I needed the water boy to move in next door to me, right? So we ended up signing up to receive five-gallon jugs of water right to our doorstep, and we got kind of an office-style water cooler. But I just remember what it was like to so frequently be thirsty and to feel like that thirst could not be quenched. But then I remember when you would get that refreshing, cold, nice glass of water and just how good it tasted and how refreshing it was. And in the text today, we find Jesus imploring those who are thirsty to come to him and to drink. And over the next few minutes, I want to address three things from this text. Number one, what is the water that Jesus is talking about? Number two, what's the condition? How do we receive the water? And number three, what are the results from receiving this water. Uh, so number one, we'll simply begin with the water itself. On, uh, in, in verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, a great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, he says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, what is John talking about? Well, if you go to verse 2 of this chapter, you'll find the feast that Jesus is referring to is the Feast of Booths, or also called Tabernacle. And this was one of the three most important Jewish festivals. It was a harvest feast, a time of celebration. It took place in autumn, and it was celebrated for eight days in Jerusalem. And it was referred to as the Feast of Booths because the men during this festival would actually live in booths, sometimes on rooftops, sometimes in alleyways, booths made of branches and leaves. And what they were doing in doing this, they were commemorating God's faithfulness to his people, the Israelites, when they wandered in the wilderness and they lived in these tent-like structures. And it's really significant that Jesus refers to thirst here. If you're thirsty, come to me. Because one of the miracles that would have been commemorated 
during this feast is found in Exodus 17, a very familiar passage. The Israelites uh, were camping at Rephidim, and there was no water there for them. They were thirsty. Nothing was there for them to drink. Now, God, by this time, had proven himself faithful over and over and over. He had miraculously provided for them time and time again. But there was still this measure of distrust that the people had. And they began to complain to the degree where Moses is actually afraid for his life. And so they began to rebel against Moses, but ultimately this was rebellion against God. Aren't we notorious for doing this at times? There's times when we know that God has been faithful to us over and over and over again. But when he doesn't move how we think he should move, we can become distrustful. Or we can question him and his methods for running our lives. And so Moses cries out to God. The situation is getting out of control. And the Lord instructs him to take some of the elders and to go to a place called Oreb. And there the Lord said, listen, I will, there's going to be a rock there. And my presence will be on that rock. And God commands Moses to strike the rock with his staff, with his rod. And when he did, what happened? Water began to flow from the rock. Now, here's what's interesting about the story. Remember, everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus in the New Testament. And Paul actually makes this connection for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The story in Exodus 17 points to Jesus Christ in which we find its fulfillment. This is very, very significant because in Exodus 17, here's what's happening. Think about this. It's the grumbling and the rebellious Israelites who deserve judgment. Now, God tells Moses, here's what you do. You take the elders and you go to Oreb, and I want you to take your rod, and the rod represents, remember, his judgment. And who is deserving of the judgment of God in this situation? It's the grumbling Israelites. And so Moses likely expects God to say, I want you to take the rod back down, and I want you to judge Israel. I want you to bring my wrath down upon them. But God doesn't do that. He says to Moses, Moses, my presence will be on this rock, my manifest presence. We don't know exactly what that looks like. It may have been the pillar of cloud. But he says, my presence will be on the rock. And I want you to strike the rock with the rod. Do you get the significance here? We've all rebelled against God. We all deserve his judgment. Yet Jesus, who is the rock of our salvation, during this feast, as they're celebrating the water in the wilderness, he says to the crowd, there's even a greater water that's available to you. Come to me and drink. And as he speaks, he knows that he's about to go to the cross. And he is actually going to receive the blow of God's judgment. Just like Moses hit the rock with the judgment of God, so Jesus will bear the wrath, the judgment of God. 
and because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, what happens to us? We get to drink what we call living water. The Bible refers to it as living water that fills the greatest, deepest craving that we will ever have. So Jesus is our rock of salvation and he's offering us this spiritual water. What then is the water that Jesus is offering? In verse 38, he says this, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. And now, verse 39, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, receive for the, as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The water that Jesus promises is the gift of his Spirit. And friends, here we find the essence of Christianity. Is Christianity to you mainly about religious rites and liturgy? Is it primarily about doctrine? Is it primarily about being a better person? Is it ultimately about church attendance, about acquiring a different moral framework, about just keeping the rules? Oh, these are all good pursuits. These are all parts of Christianity. But none of them get to the heart of what Christianity is. Christianity is about a relationship with God. It's about knowing Him. It's about being close to Him. It's about fellowship with our Maker, Creator. It's about communion with God Himself. I love 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul writes, For in one Spirit... We were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink one spirit. This is, what, uh, this is what the spirit is about, helping us commune with God. This, friends, is what our hearts need most. Whether you realize it or not, spiritual thirst is the great craving of your heart. And nothing else will satisfy you except the water that Jesus offers. St. Augustine said these words. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Wow. Maybe you're here and Obviously, you've been to church at least once. Maybe you're uh, religious. Maybe you would call yourself spiritual. But if you have not truly come to Christ in faith, you know nothing of this water that Jesus offers, and your heart is still restless. Because church will not satisfy your heart in and of itself. No religious rite or practice will satisfy your heart. To get satisfaction, you must come to Jesus. And Jesus is saying to this crowd of people, I offer you myself. I know what you need. I know what your heart is craving. Come to me. So if you don't know Christ this morning, and you're tired and you're hurting and you're restless, insatiable, broken. I can't help you myself except to point you to the one who can. 
Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy you. Giving you spiritual water by His Spirit. And if you drink, the promise is you'll never thirst again. That's the water. Secondly, I want to consider the conditions. The water that Jesus offers is free. You cannot buy the Holy Spirit. You cannot buy communion with God. But there are a couple of conditions. Number one is you've got to thirst for the right thing. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So what is the prerequisite? It is thirst. Now listen, friends, we are all thirsty for something. But if we want to receive what Jesus is offering, we must thirst for the right thing. And if you go back to John chapter 6, you will find Jesus' uh, bread of life discourse. And when the crowds of people are surrounding him, here's what he says in verse 25. When they, the crowd, found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Everyone was looking for him. Jesus answered, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work, catch this, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Now understand what's going on here. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And now the crowds are looking for him again. And the implication in these verses is that they're not seeking Jesus because they realize through the signs that he's the Messiah. They're not seeking him because they want him who is the bread of life. They are just looking for the material benefits. And Jesus tells them, you are looking for the wrong things. This is not your greatest need. And oh, church, what a message for the church in America today. Multitudes of people this morning are gathered together, and they are seeking Jesus for material benefits. Health and wealth, that's all they want. We call it the American gospel. And it becomes just a means of trying to get everything your heart desires. Does Jesus ever bless us physically on this earth? Absolutely. But that isn't the essence of why he came. You and I, we must have the attitude of Paul who said in Philippians chapter 4, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he goes on to talk about the sufficiency of Christ. There will be times in life and God may really bless you in a material way. But there may be times in life where you are suffering, you are sick, you are poor even in those situations, listen, God is enough. Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. That's why Paul can sit in a Roman prison cell and say, oh, I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. That's why he can say, while in the prison cell, rejoice in the Lord at all times. Because Jesus is enough. And he didn't come to make your American dream come true. He came to save us from our sins, which is the greatest need we have. 
Are you here today just looking for Jesus to help get you out of a jam? Are you just wanting him to make your dreams come true? Are you just wanting him for the material benefits? Or are you truly here for Jesus himself? Everything else is just added benefit. The greatest part of being a Christian is getting Christ. He is enough. The only way to get that which truly and eternally satisfies the heart is to thirst for the spiritual water that Jesus offers. And I hope that's why you're here today. There's one more condition that I will mention, and it is simply repentant faith. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. How do you get the indwelling of the Spirit? How do you experience the blessings of the living water? The answer is to believe in Jesus. But we know from context in the whole of Scripture that this is not merely an intellectual faith, but it is an active, heartfelt faith that comes to Jesus as Lord. It's, it's coming to Jesus with repentant faith and saying, Oh, I want to get off the throne of my life. Lord, I see you for who you are, and I want you as Lord of my life. It's not just to confess with the mouth, but it's also, uh, Romans 10 says, it's about believing in the heart. This has to be heartfelt faith. There's an evangelist that, that came to my church in Tucson, Arizona. And... This is a, a well-known evangelist, and uh, the crux of his message, he preaches it in about every revival or special service that he does. The crux of his message is simply this. There's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And his conviction is my conviction, is, and it's simply this, that our churches are filled with people who know a lot about God, but who do not truly know God. And there's a big difference. So at the end of his message, he would always give this great altar call. And he would say, hey, if you have an intellectual faith but no heartfelt faith, if you truly do not know Jesus, come today. I don't care if you've been at church 50 years, uh, 70 years, whatever. It doesn't matter. Come to Jesus. And people would run. Religious folks would run to the altar. And night after night, this would, these would be mainly strangers, people who he, whom he had never met before. Until one evening, he sees a familiar face running to the altar. Tears running down her face. A lady who wants to know Jesus Christ. And he knows this lady very well. It's none other than his wife. Who had followed him to meeting after meeting after meeting. But one day realizes, finally, I know a lot about Jesus but I don't know of this living water. I've never truly been saved. And that night she was radically saved, never to be the same again. Have you truly come to Jesus in faith? Or is this just a worldview, intellectual faith for you? Oh, you should have a Christian worldview. It, it, you should have an intellectual faith, but it should go much deeper than that. This is true, heartfelt, heartfelt uh, repentant faith in Jesus. That's what it takes to get the water that he offers. 
What's the result of this? Finally, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, rivers of living water. I want you just to consider some of the benefits of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life. And we could talk about benefits all day long. This is uh, absolutely not an exhaustive list of the benefits of having the Holy Spirit. But let me just point out a few. Number one, when you have this living water of the Spirit, there is an assurance, an assurance of salvation that comes by the Spirit. I love Ephesians 1.13. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. This happens the moment you believe. You were sealed with a prom the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Isn't that great news? There's nothing worse than laying in bed at night wondering, am I really saved? There's nothing uh, worse than laying in bed and, and, and wondering, where do I stand with the Lord? What would happen to me if I were to be taken from this earth right now? Where would I spend eternity? Well, great news for you, friends. You don't have to worry if you've truly come to Jesus Christ. Because He gives you His Spirit the moment you believe. And with that beautiful gift comes an assurance of salvation, which is absolutely incredible. Listen, I stand here today, and I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. Not because I'm so super moral or because I'm just this great guy. No, I know that I've been saved because I've been to the one who offered living water. I came to Jesus at seven years old. The gospel made sense to me. And I've known and I still know that I am saved and I have an, ass an assurance that won't be taken from me. That is the goodness of God. Number two, we get the fruit of the Spirit. You probably are familiar with these. In Galatians 5, and 23, Paul lists them for us. The fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Could you use any of that? Come on, somebody. Great news. Apart from Christ, we can't bear this kind of fruit. But with Christ and by virtue of His Spirit indwelling us, we can bear spiritual fruit. And we ought to be growing in this fruit because of the Spirit of God who is in our lives. Number three, not only do we get spiritual fruit, but we get spiritual gifts as well, which is incredible. Now, there are practical gifts that are listed in Romans chapter 12, uh, like the, the, the acts of mercy. All kinds of gifts, just real practical gifts listed there, and it's not an exhaustive list. I mean, if you have a, a gift of graphic design, or you have a, a gift of photography, or, or you have a, a, a gift of helps, or a gift to work with children's ministry, those are gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit meant to be used for the glory of God and to further His kingdom. And then you have in 1 Corinthians Listed supernatural gifts, prophecy, and tongues, and interpretations, and discernment. And we're grateful that by the Holy Spirit, 
we get to be used by God to partner with Him and to be used for His glory. It's incredible. Number four, because we have the Spirit of God, we know how to glorify Christ. You know, one of the most frustrating things when you first get married is uh, that you just never know how to please your spouse. Like you do something that you think is going to make her really, really happy. And uh, come to find out, it doesn't make her happy. This actually, I've been married 20 years. This happened to me last night. I was with my kids. My wife was at retreat this weekend, a women's retreat. I had the, the kids this weekend, or at least my, my youngest. And uh, they were both home at this time. And I've worked all day yesterday. We had the, the veterans breakfast yesterday morning. And uh, we had, uh, uh, I spent some time with Connor yesterday afternoon and then came back to work um, Saturday evening, and we're really trying to watch, like, our budget at home, and, you know, you can spend a lot of money eating out, right? Well, Connor texts me, Dad, uh, what are we going to do for dinner? Because he's only 15. He can't take care of himself, right? Dad, what are we going to do for dinner? And I said, hey, I'll bring something home with me. And now my wife is on her way home, and you know what I thought? I thought, you know what? I'm going to stop by the grocery store, and I'm going to fix something. This is going to give me some brownie points. And my wife has just been gone a couple of days. I just can't wait to see her. I need brownie points, all right? I need to be as lovey-dovey as possible, right? TMI, I know. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm excited. And so she calls me, and I'm in Kroger's parking lot, just gotten groceries. And I said, honey, I said, um, listen, I, I, she said, what are you doing for dinner? I said, oh, I'm picking something up. I said, I just got something for Kroger, from Kroger's to go home and fix. She said, why in the world did you do that? And the air was just knocked out of me. And I said, what do you mean? She said, it's too late for you to go home and cook something. Why did you not just go get something out? And I slammed down. No, I didn't. <laughs> Uh, but, but I was frustrated because I think, man, sometimes you just never, ever know. And she's tried to do things for me that she thought would please me. And I'm, it's like the opposite of what would please me. And so it's frustrating to try to read people. Oh, I didn't see my wife back here. I thought she was out in kids' church. I am so sorry for <laughs> saying that. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, right now we just come. To <laughs> Anybody got an extra room at the house? <laughs> well, you know what? I have talked to many people who want to please the Lord, and they say, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to best please Him. I don't, I don't know what job to take. I don't know who to marry. I don't. Here, here's the great thing. Look, this is John 16, 13. Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. And you see through the book of Acts, you see that the Spirit telling the disciples. Sometimes the, the, the apostles wanted to go to one city to preach, and the Holy Spirit said no. And we don't know exactly how that was made clear in some instances, but in some way the Spirit will speak to you if you will just listen. One of the great benefits of the Spirit is this, that the Spirit spotlights Jesus for us. See, interestingly enough, when there is a true move of the Holy Spirit, as a matter of fact, this happened first service today, there is no one person in here who looked really good or spiritual. It wasn't, I was sitting right here when it happened. I wasn't even doing anything. You know who looked good when we left this place? Jesus Christ. 
That's what happens when it's a true move of God. When all you see, when, when, when people talk about, oh, it's a move of God, and all you see is a man's face plastered on signs everywhere, it's him, it's him, it's him, and a man is glorified, there's issue. When things happen in a service that detract or, or distract from Jesus, that thing is not of God. The Holy Spirit, one of His primary jobs and goals is to spotlight Jesus and tell us how we can best glorify Him. He does that by illuminating the Scriptures to us, to, by, by, by helping us understand and apply the Scriptures. And I believe, as we see in the book of Acts, He does that even in very practical situations. I just believe if you really want to glorify Christ in your job, He'll show you how to do that. I think if you want to glorify Christ in your marriage, I think He'll lead you in the way to do that, so on and so forth. Listen, one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do is learn to parent. I mean, the scariest moment of my life is when Dylan was born and I'm handed this little baby that I feel like I could break him like with one wrong move. And it's like, okay, here you go. Your job is to keep him alive. Right? And I'm like, oh, it's, it's difficult. Like, I mean, it's scary. It's overwhelming. Not only that, his spiritual and Connor's spiritual lives are in my hands. And your job, my job as a parent is to grow them up in the admonition of the Lord. No pressure. But you know what I have found? There's, there's no manual outside. I mean, the, the Word of God says some things. That's a great manual for parenting. But there's, I mean, I know Dr. Phil writes some stuff, and, and all kinds of Christian men uh, and, and women write great books on parenting. But listen, if you've had kids, you know they're not all the same, and there's no uh, A to Z book that's just going to help you and answer everything. But you know what is so great about the Holy Spirit? When there's times that Nikki and I don't know what to do with our kids. You know what we do? We pray. And the Holy Spirit is so good about leading us. He's so faithful. The Holy Spirit will spotlight Jesus. He'll help you glorify Him. Number five, because of the Holy Spirit, we experience lasting satisfaction. John 4.14, 4, Jesus talking about this water again. He's talking with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. He says this, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Zach, would you come on up, brother? The Rolling Stones song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. How many are familiar with that song? Don't act more spiritual than you are. Come on. Doesn't that song ring true for our world today? I think it ought to be the world's anthem. Because here's what we know. The world is seeking satisfaction through money, through possessions, through sex, through education, through career, through all these different things. But none of those things, I'm not saying those are all bad things when, when they're used in the right way, but none of them are meant to. They don't have the power to satisfy your heart. I have people all the time who think, well, if I could just get this job, then I'd be happy. And then they get the job and they're not happy. Well, if I could just get married, then I'd be happy. They get married and they realize, oh, that didn't work. Or maybe if, if Lord, if you just bless me with a child, then I would be happy. But then that doesn't work. There's still an emptiness. 
You just go from one thing to the next, seeking ultimate satisfaction, but you don't find it. Because as Augustine said, there's a, a restlessness that can only be filled by God. With Christ, with the water that He's offering, you can experience the incredible state of complete satisfaction and true blessedness. You know, one of the things that I love about seasons of suffering is this. I think it tells us, have we really been to Jesus? It's very telling when you go through suffering. Do you still have the fruit of the Spirit when you're suffering? Do you still, though you don't love your circumstances, do you still feel a deep satisfaction in Jesus Christ? When you don't know how the bills are going to be paid, when you don't like the report of the doctor, is Jesus still enough? Do you, I'm not saying you have to be chipper and yay. You don't have to be like that. But let me ask you, do you still know that Jesus is enough? See, there are many benefits to the individual who's indwelt by the Spirit. And one of those is that ultimate satisfaction. You'll never, ever, ever thirst again. The rat race can be over in your life. And you realize you don't have to accomplish anything else. Now, I'm not wanting you to become complacent and say, oh, I'm going to put my feet up and not do anything. That's not the point. The point is this. You don't have to feel pressure to try to accomplish something else in order to be satisfied. Now, here's what's so great about this living water that Jesus offers. Not only do you get all of those things and much more that I just talked about, did you catch what the Scripture says in verse 38? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The joy and the peace and the love that comes to us by virtue of our relationship with Jesus, by virtue of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's presence comes to us and then it flows out from us to other people, pointing them to Jesus Christ so that they too can come to the fountain and drink. Let me ask you two questions. If you're here, maybe you're religious, but I want to ask you, have you really come to Christ? Or have you just come to religion? Do you know Christ or do you know just about Him? Are you truly indwelt by His Spirit? If not, today is your day to move from an intellectual belief to heartfelt faith. Call upon to the Lord today. Let Him once and for all quench your thirst. Come to the well that will never run dry. Assuming that most of you in here are Christians, let me ask you, are you experiencing the benefits of the Spirit, the joy of God, the peace of God. The great and late Charles Spurgeon said this, that God's people do not always know the greatness of His love to them. He writes this, Sometimes, however, it is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which was given to us. Some of us know at times, get this, some of this know at times what it is to be almost too happy to live. The love of God has been so overpoweringly experienced by us on some occasions 
that we have almost had to ask for a stay of the delight because we could not endure it, endure it anymore. Let me ask you, have you ever experienced the love of God like this? The well of God like this? The peace of God like this? Does this sound like a different religion to you? How do you change that? If you're not walking in that type of reality of the Spirit right now, how do you change that if you are indeed a Christian? How do you access the benefits of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you how. You've got to understand this. When we think of the Holy Spirit, just by virtue of hearing the word Spirit, we think of like a gas. But the Holy Spirit is not a gas. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And how do you grow in a relationship with another person? I'll tell you how. You spend time with them. You listen to them. You hang with them. And if you want to experience the benefits of the Spirit's presence in your life, let me just encourage you. Spend time with the Holy Spirit. How do you do it? Well, you listen. How do you listen? You read the Scriptures. And then you just sit and you allow uh, the Holy Spirit to speak to you through this text. Meditate on the Word of God. You pray. Pray by the Spirit. Obey. Listen, don't quench the Spirit by disobedience. Obey the Word of God. The more you do these things, the more you commune with God, the more of these attributes and virtues you will feel and know. You'll feel love like you could never imagine. You'll feel peace like you could never imagine. Even in the toughest of times. So I just want to invite you today, very simply, to come to the well of Jesus Christ and drink. Here's what I believe. There are some people here who are thirsty. Really thirsty. And you're trying, even as a Christian, to quench that thirst with things that will never quench it. If I can just stay busy and not think about it, then maybe I won't notice the thirst. If I could just be in this other relationship and then, you know, maybe the, the, the thirst will disappear. Listen, no, it's something much deeper than that. This is about you and your relationship with God. So I pray today that you would come to the, uh, to the well of Jesus Christ in faith and drink. And then I pray this this week. There's a lost and hurting world out here. I pray that you are a wellspring of life. That water, living water, will flow from your heart. As you are so saturated with the presence of God. That you'll just be life-giving and value-adding every day to the people who are so broken. That when they get around you, they can't help but smile. They can't help but feel God because you're taking God with you. It's what our city needs. It's what our world needs. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today, if there be any thirsty, I pray today, oh, Father, that you would allow them just to come to this wellspring of life, that they would come to the fountain and they would drink, maybe for the first time, living water that deepest thirst might be quenched. I pray today, Lord, for the Christian here that 
has come to you for salvation but are not walking in the practical implications and aspects of this faith. I pray today, God, minister to them by your spirit. Restore joy. Restore peace. We ask in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.